between those two expositional series um, to really focus on this idea of discipleship. Uh, This is something that we want to do um, really every year. Uh, We want to take the opportunity to take a few weeks just to revisit this idea of discipleship understand what discipleship is, make sure that we are defining it well and that we are pursuing it well. Uh, so over the next few weeks, that's what we are going to do. And um, you may ask why. Why is it important to um, have this emphasis? Why is it important to revisit this topic and uh, spend some weeks each year going through it? Well, I want to give you three quick reasons as to why that's the case. Uh, first, uh, discipleship is central to who we are and why we're here. Okay, Uh, we've talked before about this power of the gospel, this gospel that is at work, um, that this gospel is not just in one tense. We understand it in three different tenses, that it's in the past, it's in the present, it's in the future, that God has saved us. He is saving us and he will save us. And the process that takes place, we call that sanctification and the way that we move each other forward in that. The way that we pursue that growth in sanctification is through this process that we call discipleship. So it is important to who we are. It's important to who we are as a church and what we do together as the church. Second, we often make assumptions. We do that a lot in the church. And I think that we do that, especially here in the Western church, with this idea of discipleship. I think that's a word that we are all familiar enough with that if we throw that word out, most church people will get some picture in their mind. They're familiar with that term. Uh, Nobody's going to have a quizzical look on their face. They understand it and are comfortable enough with the term that they vaguely understand what we're talking about. But I think that we have to not make the assumption that all believers know what discipleship is and how we pursue it. And we want to be careful that we don't move forward with that assumption here in our church. Uh, that we are careful to revisit this, this idea, uh, define it well, define it from God's word, and then really evaluate, brothers and sisters, whether or not we truly are pursuing discipleship together. So we don't want to make assumptions. And then number three uh, is just a simple truth about us um, that's, uh, that, that I don't like about myself, but it is true. And it is this. We often, th- we often make things much more difficult than they really are. And I think that we have done that with discipleship. And I think part of that is because we assume that everybody understands what it is. We're not on the same page. And so we pursue 50 different things in 50 different directions. And um, we just set up our church structure in a way that just makes discipleship far more difficult than what it really is. Now, on one level, discipleship is impossible for us uh, because it is the spirit at work within us. That brings about that sanctification It is the spirit at work within us that brings salvation at the first and is the spirit that will finish that work one day upon Christ's return. Uh, But in the meantime, we have to make sure that we are pursuing the right thing. So we want to make sure that we're all on the same page when we talk about how we pursue discipleship together. And really, uh, our mission as a church is up on the screen right there. And by the way, I haven't used PowerPoint in some time. So let's see how this goes. Um, I'm going to do my best to to keep up with that. Um, The truth is, we as a church have not been given um, license to create our own mission. Okay, when we talk about the mission of the church, it's not because your elders have gotten together and we've just sat in a room and said, "Okay, what do we want to be about? Um, We don't get to define our mission. Jesus defines our mission and he has defined our mission for us in this thing that we call the Great Commission. Uh, Read it there with me on the screen. Go, therefore. And make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is Jesus's command to the church. And just before this, he tells us that he is sending us in his authority to go in his authority. His authority goes with us and everything that we do, we do with the, with his presence with us, as it says on the back end. And we understand, and we've talked about this before, there are several different verbs there in the Great Commission, but only one of those is the central command. And that central command is not the first verb. The central command is not go. The central command for the church is to make disciples. The other verbs that are there are helpers. They, they help us understand how we are to make disciples. It says there we are to make disciples how? By going. Wherever we are going, this begins in our homes, this begins here in our church, it begins in our community, it begins in Roxboro, it begins in North Carolina, and it continues to ripple out all the way to the ends of the earth. We are to go to make disciples. Secondly, we are to make disciples how? By baptizing them. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we practice this thing we call evangelism. Where we go to those who are lost, to those who are outside of Christ, and we preach the gospel to them. And it is the power of the word through the work of the spirit that saves hearts one heart at a time as we are faithful to to proclaim that word to those around us. And then we are to make disciples how? By teaching them. Teaching who? Well, all who come to Christ. Teaching them. What? Uh, All that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so most of you can recite the next screen which is our mission statement here at Westwood. And again, I want to take the opportunity to say this is not something that we have invented. When we say the three G's, when we say grounded, growing, and going, that's not just the concepts that we have come up with. This statement is really just the way that we articulate the Great Commission that Jesus has given us. And we we state it like this. It is our mission to see all people become grounded in Christ, growing together in the Word, and going for God's glory. That's the way that we articulate the Great Commission. Okay, so when other people ask you, what is Westwood all about? And you say, well, we want to see all people become grounded in Christ, growing together in the word and going for God's glory. Really, we're just articulating the mission that Jesus has given us. And so that's what that looks like. Look at the book of Colossians. And I want us to see that there's a a really beautiful picture for the way that this plays out here in this first chapter. We see a picture of this power that we call the gospel at work. Listen to how Paul describes it here, beginning in verse 3. He writes, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth. Listen, the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. And so from the day we heard, We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, 
May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Do you hear that beautiful testimony by Paul? That here is a picture of how this gospel is proceeding forward, even as it has come to you. Now it is bearing fruit to the ends of the earth. But he revisits the idea that it had come to this community and it had changed this community. It brought this community together. And even as he gives this picture of this gospel that is, that is going to the ends of the earth, it's bearing fruit everywhere it goes. It continues to bear fruit right here in this community. And so Paul's prayer is that this gospel... This, this work that has begun in you would continue to push you into maturity, into the gospel. That you would continue to grow by the power of this gospel. It's really a beautiful vision, isn't it? And we are indebted here at Westwood in the way that we have thought through um, discipleship and the way that we've thought through how do we articulate this. You know, you always want to articulate something clearly and you want to be as succinct as possible, but you also want to be accurate and faithful And so in seeking to do just that, uh, we came across uh, these brothers from Australia who has written a book called The Trellis and the Vine, which has just been foundational for us in the way that we define discipleship here at Westwood. And here's the truth, brothers and sisters. It may not be the best way to define discipleship. There are a a bunch of different ways. Uh, We could put quotes from a lot of different people on how they define it. But this one we are drawn to, I think, because of the simplicity It helps us understand at the center of what we do, what it is that we do to make disciples, to push people into Christ. And as they define this, they say that God's agenda is twofold. What is God's agenda in this great gospel that's bearing fruit to the ends of the earth? Well, they say it's twofold. First, God's agenda is to transfer rebellious sinners from the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of his beloved son. So God's agenda is to transfer rebellious sinners. We know that he does that through the gospel. We know that he does that through the finished work of Christ who came as our substitute to satisfy the legal demands of God the Father in our place so that by faith we can rest in him. Okay, that's how God does that work. But that's not all that God does in his agenda. There's a second part to it. God's agenda is to transform his redeemed people into maturity, into the image of Christ. So in God's agenda, he is transferring rebellious sinners from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son and then transforming those who he redeems into Christ, into maturity into Christ, so that we can grow in the image of Christ. So in light of all of that, what is our agenda? If this is God's agenda in the gospel and the gospel is this thing that sweeps us up as his people, what is our agenda? We need to say it's this way and it's also twofold. Our agenda is to move towards maturity in Christ for ourselves. That's the first part of this, is we understand that the gospel is not just past tense. It's not as if I've been saved and now I just go to church and I try to do some stuff. I've been saved and I'm being saved. I pursue maturity for myself in the way that I can interpret and apply God's word for myself, in the way that I uh, I commune with God in prayer, in the way that we uh, participate as a body together and encourage one another. We are to push forward into maturity for ourselves. But there's also a second aspect, and it's this. Our agenda is also to move others 
into maturity, into Christ. That we are to pursue maturity, but we are also to move others into maturity, into Christ. This is our agenda in light of what God's agenda is. So the question for us is how? How does God's agenda unfold? How is it that this happens? How is it that people are transferred and transformed? How is it that we press into maturity and press others into maturity? And this is the statement. This is the the definition for discipleship that we are so thankful for that I think paints a picture for us in a very simplistic yet faithful way. And it's made up of these four P's that we talk about quite often around here. Look at it. This agenda unfolds as God's people. It's the first P. God's people proclaim or speak the word of God into the lives of others through prayerful dependence on the spirit and in perseverance. Will you read that with me? This agenda unfolds as God's people proclaim the word of God into the lives of others through prayerful dependence on the spirit and in perseverance. I want to ask you over the next few weeks as we unpack this statement, and we're going to spend four weeks walking through each of those pieces. okay? I want to ask you if you will memorize this statement, okay? Uh, hopefully you already have our church's mission statement memorized. We need to be able to tell people what Westwood is all about as we invite them to come here, as they ask us what goes on here. We need to be able to tell them that. But we also need to have this memorized, not, not only so that we can articulate it to others, but I think that if we internalize the statement, it's a constant reminder of what we are to be about. Not only that, brothers and sisters, but here's the truth. This statement serves as a filter for everything that we do here at Westwood. Everything that we do, every program, every event, at the end of the day, we desire for everything that we do here to be another context where God's people have the opportunity to faithfully proclaim the word of God into the lives of others in prayerful dependence on the spirit and in perseverance. Everything that we do. So when you come to that women's event yesterday, that's an opportunity for you to do that. When we gather as a life group, it's an opportunity for us to do this. When we go to Sunday school on Sunday morning, it's an opportunity for us to do this together. Everything that we do is in in anticipation and in pursuit of this playing out here in our community at Westwood. Okay, so here is the central truth that we need to hear this morning as we deal with that first P, God's people. The central truth is this. God's agenda includes us. God's agenda includes us. Who are the us? Well, let's hear as Paul unfolds this throughout the letter to this church in Colossae. Look at a couple of verses here. Colossians 1.1, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. Who is the, who is the one or who are the ones who are doing the work of the ministry here? It's Paul and Timothy. They're doing the work of the ministry even in writing this letter to this community. Verses 7 and 8 there, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. Who is it that's doing the work of the ministry? It's this man named Epaphras who has so faithfully led this church and pointed these people to the gospel. And Paul is affirming that. In 1, 28 through 29, Paul writes, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Who's doing the work of the ministry there? It's Paul. But it's not only Paul. He uses this word, we. 
Who are the we? Well, that's unpacked for us, I believe, at the end of the letter, Colossians 4, 7 through 14. It's Tychicus, who Gerald let us know a little bit about last week. Tychicus, Onesimus, Aristarchus, Mark, Jesus, who was also called Justice, Epaphras, who was one of you, Paul says. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Paul has a community with him. And it is they together working in partnership in this ministry of the gospel to see all people be presented as mature as the gospel continues its work within the people of God. It's all of them working together, but it doesn't stop there. Colossians 2, 6 and 7. Listen here. Therefore, as who? You. That you there is plural. Okay, so we put the southern plural in there. Therefore, as y'all received Christ, Jesus, the Lord. So walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Who is it that is doing the work of the ministry here? It's the community of faith. Paul is telling them through this letter that you together are to be pressing forward in Christ. In fact, that is the whole theme of this letter. All of these different philosophies are encroaching in the church. What is it that you are to do? Very simply, abide in Christ, remain in Christ, that you are to push forward together in this work. Continues to unpack Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in who? Y'all. It's plural again. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So not only are we to press into maturity together, we have a responsibility to one another to push each other more deeply into maturity. Into Christ. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Brothers and sisters, I don't think that that just means memorize scripture. I think that that means that we all have the call to develop the skill of being able to properly interpret and apply God's word, not only for us, but for the community of faith, for each other. We are to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. One last one Colossians 4 2 through 4. Paul writes, continue steadfastly in prayer. Being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Paul is the ones that's doing the ministry in this. But notice that the uh, context is different. It's no longer within the church. Now it's without that. I am going to be doing the work of the ministry out I am proclaiming the gospel to those who are far away from Christ, who need to be redeemed by him. But notice he doesn't stop there. In verses 5 and 6, he says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Now he's talking to the community of faith, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. After we spend four weeks unpacking these peas and talking about what discipleship is, we're going to spend some weeks talking about how we as a church have the responsibility to understand how to faithfully and meaningfully be able to speak that gospel into the surrounding culture. So we're going to join into this work. All of this combines to show us that the us here is all of us. It's all of us as we have been given this commission to speak the word of God into the lives of each other, into the lives of others, in prayerful dependence on the Spirit, and in perseverance. And I want to give you this one thought as I hand things off to Gerald here. We can be thankful that God is both and when it comes to his agenda. I am thankful for the promise of Scripture that tells us that he who began a faithful, or a, a faithful work in me will be faithful to complete that work. 
He who began that work in us will be faithful to complete it. He is a both and God. He not only transfers, he transforms. And brothers and sisters, here's the truth. If we have been transferred, but we are not being transformed, that's an incomplete gospel. God intends to save us, to bring us back to himself. It's through the work of the Spirit, that ongoing gospel work that conforms us into maturity, into the image of Christ. I'm thankful today that God is a both and God when it comes to the agenda. Amen? But here's the thought I want to leave you with. As his blood-bought people, we have not been given the option to be either or in our agenda. That all of us have been redeemed and called, not just called, purchased for this agenda, for this mission. That we can't decide that we're just going to be about evangelism once in a while and we're not going to invest in the body by pushing others into maturity. We don't have that ability to do that. If God is both and, we do not have the option to be either or. God has called us to this task of discipleship. So, Gerald, come and tell us how that looks within our lives. That's all I did. Thank you. I tripped over that. Well, I jerked it off. So, today is brought to you by the letter P. I hope you've been able to <laughs> tell that so far. All right? Um, some of us still are living on Sesame Street, and that's quite all right. That's not a bad place sometimes to be. Discipleship happens as we, as God's people, proclaim or speak God's word. Through prayer, we're constantly depending upon, just crying out for God to, to empower us and enable us to do that. And we do it in perseverance. We understand, I think, having just finished the book of Ephesians, a little bit about what it means to be God's people, but I want to just touch on that for a minute. Unlike Colossians, as you just heard, we already saw, the book of Ephesians seems to be very impersonal from the part of Paul. The only name he names other than himself and the name of Jesus is this, this man, Tychicus. And so, but it's not impersonal. And as we saw it unfolding before us, those three chapters of what God has done for us in Christ then leads to the beginning of chapter 4, that we are called to walk worthy of the calling with which we have received. And that calling of walk worthy is this amazing reminder that throughout the storyline of the Bible, throughout Scripture, God calls his people, he calls us to be distinctive in our character. And he calls us to be distinctive in our pursuits. And he calls us to be very distinctive and intentional as we pursue that agenda that he's given us. But God never calls us to any aspect of our character or any aspect of what we're to do without providing for us what we need to do that. He doesn't just say, go figure it out. Just try to muster it up, you know. No, he doesn't do that. And, and we're just reminded in Scripture that we've been given everything we need in Christ for godliness. Everything we need, he tells us in 1 Peter 12, for godliness and knowledge in the God who has called us to this amazing aspect of his glory, Peter tells us. So this is the picture that we have before us. And I want to just think for a second this morning, help us think about what it means to be God's people. 
in light of this call to discipleship, in light of this call that he's given us. And God's people, first off, have been given this amazing provision. Now, we understand, I believe, that it's Christ himself. But he's given this, this provision. Turn to Romans for just a minute. Romans chapter 15. On your pew Bible, it's page 949. All of us are familiar with Paul's amazing statement in 2 Timothy 3, that all scripture is breathed out by God. God has breathed it out and given to us, inspired and given it to us. And it's profitable, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. It's, it's, it's good for us. It's necessary for us. And it's sufficient for us for training in righteousness, for discipleship, for becoming the mature, the mature people that God has called us to be. Paul says in Romans 15, just one verse I want to point out to you there. Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. That through endurance and through the encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope. Now, he goes on to say that this is the God of hope who has given us this. So here again, God has given us himself, but he's given us his scripture to lay the groundwork for that. So God's people, we as God's people, have been given everything we need for this pursuit. That's the provision that he's laid out for us. We also see in Romans, and we also saw this in the book of Ephesians, that this participation is something that every single one of us has been called to. All of us have been called to participate in this process. As Jason said, it's not optional. You cannot, if you are in Christ, decide I'm going to be a part of this or not. That's not given for us to decide. And so look at verse 14 of Romans 15. You see there before it in verse 13 where he says, this is the God of hope that has given us scripture so we can have hope. All the joy and the peace in believing, power of the Holy Spirit abounding in hope. But notice what he says in verse 14. Paul says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. We have over the past... I don't know, 20 or 30 years made a big deal out of the nine marks of a healthy church that's been very instrumental in, in defining who we are as a congregation, kind of the, the DNA of our church. And I appreciate this one verse here. James Boyce says in his commentary on Romans that these are the three marks of a healthy church. Think about it for just a second. Goodness, that, they, that you are full of goodness. Now, this goes back to Ephesians as well. Paul reminded us that one time you were darkness, right? But now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. He has transferred us out of the kingdom of what? Darkness into the light. So this goodness that it's talking about here, I believe, is that imputed righteousness. It is the goodness of Christ that is given to us when we in faith trust in Jesus, when we turn from our sin. It's that process of transferring us and taking us out of darkness. And God in that process imputes to us, gives to us this goodness. So apart from Christ, we are darkness. All of us have strayed and gone away from God. And he brings us back and gives us the very goodness that is in Christ. That's what we call regenerate church membership here. All right. That it's it's not enough to have your name on a roll somewhere. 
What we have to have is our name written in the Lamb's Book of Life because we've trusted in Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. And all of our membership process, our class, everything has to do with being sure that you are grounded in Christ first by your personal trust in him. So goodness. Then he says filled with knowledge or complete with knowledge. And this is a a good understanding of the Christian faith. This is the basics that we talk about. But this 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 knowledge here is this ability to just trust that God's word is sufficient. And that I don't need someone else's opinions or I don't I don't need to turn to pop culture or psychology. That God's word is sufficient. I'm filled with knowledge. I'm complete, if you will, in a good understanding of the Christian faith. Now, this doesn't mean necessarily that you're ready to teach a theology class. But it does mean that you are grounded in Christ and in his word to the point that you're then able to speak that word into somebody else's life. We'll talk about that more in just a second. Because he says here, able to instruct one another. And again, we're not asking you as a lady to be able to stand up and be led as you were yesterday through the word. We are praying and working to the end that you can sit down with another group of ladies or you men can sit down with another group of brothers and you can open the word and read it together and work through it together under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. No, you may not be able to give an address on Trinitarian Christology and how it relates to God's wrath. I know you talked about that some yesterday. Wasn't it rich? Wasn't it good, ladies, to be able to? Golly, I've never thought about that. But you got to do that yesterday. It doesn't mean you're able to lead that discussion. It does mean you're willing and able to talk about God. To talk about his word, to point people to his word. Boyce says in that commentary, do we love the Lord enough to talk about him naturally and often? And do we love others enough to bring spiritual truth into daily conversation? Do we care for Christians enough to point them in the right direction when we see they are deviating or falling short of that right direction? That's what we're talking about when we talk about speaking God's word into each other's lives. You're not necessarily leading a theological discussion into the depths, but isn't it so sweet that God's word is simple enough for our children to understand it and deep enough that you'll just be waiting in it? Even as you walk through these deep theological discussions, our lifetimes here are not long enough for that. What's the pattern for this? I'm not going to take the time to re-preach Ephesians chapter 4, but if you'll just remember verse 16 of Ephesians 4, it says that the whole body is joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, with each part working properly, the body grows and builds itself up in love. So every part of the body... What that means is this, church, you are integral, you're important in the process of making disciples here at Westwood. God has gifted our church with elders. He has gifted our church with teachers. And their goal is to equip our body, to equip the members, so that then you are able to be a part of this process as we go and make disciples. That's the pattern that we have there. And what's the progress that we're to work toward? God's people are making progress. What is the end result of that? 
before we, as, as we begin our first discussion about this little mini-series that we're doing, my, my mind was drawn to the book of to Hebrews again. And so turn to Hebrews chapter 5 for just a second. And Jason and I earlier in the week were talking about, do we approach this from a positive standpoint or a negative standpoint? You know, what, what do you think? We're just going back and forth about this just a little bit. Because my mind was drawn to the warnings that we have in the book of Ephesians. And, and I appreciate Jason and just, you know, speaking into it from a standpoint. Now, let's approach this first from a positive standpoint. That's a good thing to do. All right. So offset that just a little bit. In Hebrews chapter 5, look at verse 11. It says, about this we have much to say. And it is hard to explain since... You have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. What is the what is the goal? What is the point to which we want to progress for all of us to be teachers? I overheard Gary's Sunday school class this morning, as I do every week, um, you know, just a just a door between us. Um, but it came up even in the context of talking about Saul, talking about qualifications for those who are called to serve as elders. And, and that distinguishing characteristic of being able to. To teach the word. That is true. That is a distinguishing characteristic for our elders. But it is also a goal to which every believer has been called in this sense. And be able to take that word of God and begin to speak it, read it, just live it out together within the body of Christ. The problem is not that the milk is weak. That's not what the writer of Hebrews is saying here. And the problem is not that that babies don't mature eventually to solid food. That's not the problem here either. The problem here is that there is not a constant practice. The problem is that, as one writer said, the milk of the word is not producing the muscle of faith. And so over the course of a ministry, over the course of years and decades of, of serving, pastors will tell you there's nothing there's nothing that's more discouraging in a sense and dangerous than seeing professing Christians at the same point in their walk with Christ today as they were 10 years ago. In fact, I believe what the Bible teaches us, especially in the book of Hebrews, is that if you say you are in that same place where you were 10 years ago, or if the fruit of your life indicates you're that same place you were 10 years ago, listen, there is no coasting in the faith. The writer of Hebrews is clear. The drift of this world, the drift of this culture, the drift of sin takes us to destruction. And if you're not progressing, you are declining. There's no neutral. Okay? There's just not. 
And so the writer of Hebrews is very clear about the warning that you are to be progressing. And the, the model he has there is that we were progressing, maturing in the faith to that point where we are then able to encourage others, walk with others, speak the word. And so much is at stake here. Earlier in chapter 3, it says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. The model, the example of what it was to fall away from the living God was the Israelites who did not progress into the promised land. And died in that wilderness of coasting along. So we're called to exhort, parakaleo, come along beside. We saw that in the book of Ephesians. This is the goal, that God's people go to maturity, and as we're striving and growing toward maturity, we're stirring one another up in that same direction, okay? So that's what it means to be God's people. That God has graciously provided for us. That That he's given us this pattern. And all of us are called to participate in that. And the progress that we make is that point where we're able to speak that word, come along beside other. So here's the question. Have you been transferred through the transforming power of the gospel? That's the first question for you this morning. Do you know Christ as your Lord and Savior? And listen, you could have been a member of a church for a long time, but I hope you are thinking in your mind... What are those steps of what what signs of progress do I see? Where do I see myself growing in my knowledge of Christ, in my understanding of who he is? Where do I see myself growing in my love and desire for him? And And if there's no positive answers there, then the Holy Spirit is at work in your heart today through the preaching and speaking of his word, as he is always when that word is preached and spoken. Come and talk to me. Come and talk to one of your elders. Let's talk about where you're at in your walk with Christ. Have you trusted in Jesus and been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son and received the gift of the goodness of Christ, his righteousness? I invite you to that today. Secondly, how are you growing in that knowledge of Christ? And how is your hunger and desire for that very thing? And our willingness then to participate. What a joy it was just to hear so many of you talk about just sitting around the table yesterday as a group of women and discussing the Word. How good it is to see brothers growing in their relationship with Christ through their relationship with one another, just sitting around reading the Word together. One of our elders discipling some younger guys on Sunday morning. What a joy it is just to see the body of Christ being the body of Christ. In that way. That's God's people. That's who we are as God's people. And so over the next few weeks, as Jason has said, we're going to see what it means then to proclaim and speak that word. What it means to be in prayerful dependence on the Holy Spirit. What it means to just not get tired and quit. Just persevering. Keeping on, keeping on. And then how we can take that knowledge, how we can take that light and speak intelligibly culturally relevant into a culture around us that's clueless and dying and needing the Lord. So that's where we're going to go over the next few weeks. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you so much today for your word. We thank you that we as your people, Lord, who have been called by your name,
can testify to that truth, and we pray you'd empower us by your Spirit to do that well, to do that boldly. Father, thank you that you have called us to walk worthy of the calling with which you have called us. Thank you that you called us to walk as children of light, because that's who we are. And thank you that because we are your children, Lord, you have graciously given us all things necessary for life and godliness. So, Father, we humbly ask you to just fill us with a hunger and thirst for your righteousness, that we can grow, God, continue to grow to maturity for your glory. For your glory, Lord, we pray that and ask it in Christ's name. Amen.